Welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Della Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Della Coltman. We were off last week. We are back again. It is the 20th of August at the time of recording. You are probably listening to this on your morning commute on August 21st or something, uh, some other time during the week of uh, the 20th of August and onward. So regardless of when you're listening to us, we uh, are grateful for you listening. And uh, we apologize that we've been a bit more sporadic than normal. But hey, it's the summer and it's busy. Before we get going, I think we'd all like to just make sure we take a moment to uh, just acknowledge and and send our best wishes and um, a little bit of positive energy out to some of the our fellow Canadians who are really going through some stuff right now, uh, both the area of Kelowna here in British Columbia, uh, West Kelowna most specifically, and then of course up in the Northwest Territories around Yellowknife and all of the affected communities that have been uh, impacted by wildfires, uh, forest fires, and the effects of global warming this summer, uh, obviously Maui, um, but but we've seen devastation across North America, across the globe, but it really does hit home when the smoke from a forest fire rolls into your town, regardless of where you are, and you know that that's just a few you know kilometers up the highway. And for the people of Kelowna, um, of course, we hope that most importantly, everyone is safe. And then, of course, secondly, we hope for as little you know, damage to the infrastructure and people's houses, because it's a very difficult thing to go through. So uh, we would encourage our listeners, obviously, to reach out to any uh, organization of their choice to support. I know the Red Cross is taking donations. Uh, if you're near one of those communities and have the ability to be helpful, please do. But but also, you know, just acknowledge the first responders who really are the, the people in there doing the work to try to save lives and save property. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a tricky and difficult situation to, to, to think about and deal with. And everybody obviously hopes it never comes to their front door, but unfortunately for a lot of people this year, it has come exactly in that way, right to their front door. Um, with that said, let's get to it. Here is topic one. Okay. Um, when we last met a few weeks ago, we were talking about the women's world cup uh, that has now wrapped up the, um championship game the finals were played uh this today i guess the day we're recording this the uh, the 20th uh, between spain and england spain uh was victorious the lionesses were unable to um clinch the deal weren't able to 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 get the the win for england which of course is is a country that has a long and uh painful history of world cup defeat on the men's side and they can add another women's loss to that it's always one of those times in the world cup comes around everyone kind of goes well is this england's time and it really felt like for a moment there elliot they were going to have an opportunity to at least win um one but the women unfortunately met a very very strong spanish team and the and the spaniards were able to to be victorious today also this game had 13 minutes of stoppage time at the end so that tells you a lot about how this game was played and how much time we had players down on the turf or anyway um how much of it did you watch elliot and more, more importantly what are your thoughts on how uh it has kind of played out over the last couple of weeks yeah, I mean, it's just been absolutely outstanding. I think it's been great for the game of soccer and, frankly, for women's sport in general. The way in which this tournament has captivated so many uh, people across this world, uh, I think it was a really good – given the spotlight of this event, I think it was really good that there was this surprise knockout of America early. They've been such a dominant force in women's soccer for so long. It allowed for some other stories to be told and they were told. And I think that that is one amazing piece of it. Just on your note on stoppage time, they did this in the last men's world cup as well. And women's they're really focusing 
uh, on trying to accurately capture the amount of time more so than ever before. So it, you actually saw it consistently across this World Cup and the last one much more stoppage time. Um, again, it's another way in which the game's evolving and growing and being more fair and being more accessible. And that's awesome too. But yeah, all in all, like five stars, as much as we all hate FIFA and the problems that we know exist within that organization, in terms of uh, what I think this will has meant for women's sport and just the opportunity for young girls from Spain and England and Australia, which had a really exciting team this year, to be able to see people that look like them uh, engaging in the best sport in the world on the best uh, on the top TV channels. Like that's just that that's the best thing always about this. Uh, and, you know, that's what I'm happy about. And that's what I'm going to try and take away from uh, despite all the other stuff. Right. Um I think this might have been the first time I sat down to really watch uh, this tournament and the quality was great. I, I think I, the, the game that stood out the most to me was the, um, the Australian semifinal game against who are they playing? I don't know. As I say, it stood out the most. The semifinals? Yeah. It was... Didn't they play England? Oh, sorry, sorry. It was. It would have been the quarters. They were. They, well, they the came out went victorious. To yeah, they came out victorious. Um, there were a lot of penalties. Not against Sweden. Yes. No. No, it wasn't Sweden. I don't know that. Uh, it doesn't matter. But it was very memorable. <laughs> um, I was surprised to hear all of these nicknames that these teams have. Like you just said, the lionesses. Yeah. The Matildas. Yep. Like these are these are fun names that I had never heard about. Um. I just thought it was interesting to just kind of see see how uh, I guess the culture around this tournament goes and the the um, the the viewership is great. I think that everything that happened in Australia with it was like the the host um, having the Matildas make it as far as they did was really exciting. I think for um, for that nation and um, I think all in all a really successful tournament. And um, I, we talked a little bit on our last show together about how we felt like this was one of those moments again in a, in a chain of moments that we have seen in most recent years where um the women's side of this these sort of this caliber of sport is getting a lot more attention than it it, it would even like a quadrant quadrennial ago four years ago or whatever or a decade ago for that matter like the uh, the 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 level of attention that the networks pay to it the way that it's on tv the way it's promoted and obviously it's tricky as we said with this tournament being in australia that like the viewing times in north america not great but even still i would i would bet um that the ratings were up over last cycle and i think that that is a sign of the fact that the um growth of the women's game in soccer uh, the growth of women's sport in general the way that we have started to at least have those difficult conversations about the inequality or the or the inequity of it is important and it's starting to to see that i also thought it was interesting so i don't <laughs> i'm not a huge fan of plugging some show on some other network but i do recommend for listeners out there as elliot and i had a show recently where we talked about just like documentaries we thought were really interesting there's a great podcast called short history of and they did a being an english made show it's on um noise noise yeah they produced a 
uh, an episode of their show specifically about like the origins and history of women's football in England being an English show. Um, and it, it was unfortunate because like as a Canadian fan, like I kind of was more interested in like, well, when did North America pick it up? And they talked a little bit about how like the game, re- women's re- game really did explode uh, in the mid to late like 70s around like collegiate sport in the United States. But it became like the dominant female, the prestigious female sport in college sports in North America and women from all over the world flooded into those American colleges because that's where the money was. But before that, going all the way back to pre-World War One, when the FA really was taking off for the men and women started to push to get opportunities to play, it was in England when they were really first organized to do so. And during the wars, when the men were gone, much like we've heard the stories of like a league of their own and baseball in America, women's football, soccer really took off in England. And of course, when the men came back, the FA being, you know, very entrenched in the patriarchy was was very quick to sort of push them back uh, into the into their homes and away from those pitches. But the, the story of it was really fascinating. And it was funny because you could tell there was a really great opportunity there had they had the lionesses won for that story to kind of have this full circle moment of the English women finally getting over there because the first two women's world cups were actually unsanctioned for 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 the women. They were they were like rebel tournaments that they were organized and held by several different countries. I think the first one was in Mexico, and they were treated like royalty when they got there. Uh, and the uh, the English women couldn't believe how many people came and filled these stadiums. But while at the time at home they were still being treated like literally second class citizens. Um, anyway, so it, it is worth a listen, and I do think it's an interesting part of that story because as much as the soccer itself was really good, it's just there is a bigger narrative attached to it as there, as there is just in the world we're living in and the climate of how these sports are, as I say, getting more and more um, attention, which I think is really good. But I mean, the other thing I would add on that, you know, that's a lovely bit of history and I think it, it really speaks to, you know, just the soccer side of this, but what we're seeing is a growing momentum and the more successful events like this that we have in terms of women's sports, the better uh, this is going to be. I mean, this event, the attention, the excitement, uh, everything that it is is not possible without you know the infrastructure that's been built by the WNBA, right? So we need to have keep net. What's the next that you know prior to that? Maybe it's women's tennis. There's other there's other examples that you could kind of stick in there, but we need to keep stacking these types of events on top of each other, not just for you know building a history. Uh, for of one sport, but I think it's women's sport in general and on top of each other. And you know what? This is set the this is set the next bar. This is the next level. That's awesome. We should celebrate that. Um, but can't wait to see what's the next sport. I hope we're not waiting for another four years for the next women's world cup. I, I want to no, see what they need for to sure. See. And, and again, this women's world cup had the largest field we've ever seen. And there was a very short time ago when, you know, FIFA would say, well, there, weren't, there aren't enough qualified countries. And now it's like, they literally had qualifying tournaments that were legitimate, um, challenges for people to get through, to get teams to, to, to get through, to get into this tournament, because the popularity of the sport and more importantly, the funding necessary for elite levels of athletes to play these sports within their own countries is growing. And that is really great to see. And as you say, to have the Americans out, cause they've been the power force, obviously as attached to what I was saying, you know, they, they have the pipeline right from college, but equally the Canadians who are the defending gold medal Olympic Olympic champions. They're out early. Um, uh, Australia with Kerr had a pretty good run. They didn't get there, but like the English haven't been in one of these finals 
I think ever, or in a very long time, and to have Spain there, another big First country. Time Spain's ever won, this but it's fantastic, yeah. right? So it's just good France, to see the France growth. was the team I was there thinking that Australia beat that, or sorry, the Blues, who also had, in my opinion, last. probably the best sports commercial I think I've seen this decade. Did oh, you guys yeah. see this uh-huh. this commercial? We'll we'll post it on our story, but it it was this fantastic commercial that starts for the first like 35 seconds of highlights of like Mbappe and all of these other French players. And it just shows how like excited the crowds were about world cup. And it, it just sort of, it's this like raw, raw highlight reel of fr- the French national men's national team. And then it stops and they sort of acknowledge, isn't it great how much attention the men get and how great they are and how we love them so much. Why don't the women get this? And then it rewinds and it shows you that they've actually with CGI changed all of these highlights that are actually highlights of the women oh, from the previous wow. couple of years. And they've just turned them into Mbappe and oh. turned them into the men's team when all the highlights are actually of the women. This is exciting. Just to point out these yeah. amazing plays you just believed oh, were wow. that of the men's are actually the women's. Why wouldn't you support this team? It was a fantastic commercial. Really we'll post it on our story if you haven't seen it. it well, this really leads to a question good. I have. Uh, this is a, maybe for a, a bigger topic and one to kind of mull about, but it, oftentimes this conversation around you know, uh, women's sport, men's sport, the sport being the same, but there being two different streams of the sport. Um, you know, the, the argument often in hockey is that the, you know, they're, they're different size, physical sizes, speed, maybe like different, different physical attributes that m- would make it difficult for them to play in the same league. Uh, same for football, same for a lot of different sports, basketball, basketball I mean, the, the ball size is different in basketball. Is soccer one that really could, we could see a, a co-ed league? Like, is this something that could actually happen with, you know, is this a sport that could foster or, or support men and women playing in the same game? I, I, I think anything's possible. Absolutely. It's probably one of the ones that are closer. Um, uh, particularly given, you know, the same size pitch. So you really, you know, you do see kicks are a little bit shorter, you know, you notice from goal in women's, but I, yeah, I think if there's anything, this is one of the ones that would be closest to, I would think. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And certainly when is that barrier broken and when do we have, I mean, it'll start with one exceptional athlete, you know, that, that fits some of the more traditional, uh, male attributes that the sport currently has. But even if you look at hockey, the way the game has changed, right? Like the size of those athletes has shrunk on average sure. because speed is more valuable. You know, skill is more uh, valuable. And therefore we don't have, you know, all of these sort of bruisers out there the way we once did. But, you know, you look back at like when Haley Wickenheiser was playing with men in Europe and like the only real difference there was the physicality, right? But really she was as fast as some of the players out there. She wasn't the fastest player, but she was as fast as some of them. She was skilled <laughs> in some of those places. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's interesting to see how, how the sport, you know, will shift or whatever. And it, it's also difficult to even talk about like physical attributes because there are some like, I mean, there's WNBA players who are like six, seven, six, eight, who in other sports would be taller than most of the men in that sport had they chosen that sport instead of basketball. But of course they were pushed into basketball because as a woman, it was like, well, you're going to be one of the tallest women. This will be valuable. So it's tricky in that sense, right? But, and Elliot, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you, when you cited tennis, because I don't think you could find a more, um, in terms of popularity, in terms of like, 
like notoriety and, and sort of just like the, the sponsor value of a sport, you could find a more um, evenly matched um, male to female kind of ratio of importance. Like women's tennis gets almost the same ratings for the top tier players as a lot of the matches for the men do. You know, when Serena Williams is in a match against, you know, Sharapova or whomever the, the, the current examples of that are in like the U.S. Open, the ratings on that final weekend for the for those matches is equal to when you know Alcaraz is playing Djokovic or whatever, um, because you've they've really built that sport in such a way that now that's again not women competing against men and they're slightly different sports you know three sets instead of five or whatever it is but but the point is in terms of the like attention those athletes get it's definitely unparalleled across any other example i can find even like the l the, the the wnba or like the lpga it's like yes they have very big audiences but they don't rival the men's yet mm-hmm. all right that's topic one hey football fans the ordinary podcasting network is very excited to welcome back for its second season running down the clock presented by puya ricey and tyler walzak These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. We brought up in the previous conversation in the last topic there, just a moment of acknowledging that Elliot and I once did an entire topic just basically recommending documentaries to each other. We did. Great. You were talking. Great topic. Great topic. I watched them all. I know. Well, Icarus I don't, is my favorite. Icarus is very good. The question is this: Have you, have either of you seen the latest offerings from Netflix? They have this new series called Untold. Have you guys been watching yeah, any of this? I know about it. I haven't watched it. Either. Okay, so there are three currently that are sort of the new, the the, the, the latest three that drop together. Oh, yeah. And I want to talk about one of them specifically, but I wanted to just sort of mention the other two. Again, no endorsement from Netflix. We don't have any. They're not a sponsor. Not but, yet. Not yet. But hold on. Not it's yet. interesting because again, we 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 still seem to be in this sort of golden age of sports docs. They 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 get made because they're cheap to make and well, people seem to enjoy them. Good stories. So the three that are out there right now, and there's a fourth coming soon um, that I just wanted to mention. So the first one um, that I'm not going to talk about, but was no because it's it's not what I'm interested in talking about right now. But it is out there. There's a documentary with Johnny Menzel. Oh yeah. Right, okay. Right, right. Now Tyler and Puya did break this one down on their show, which is on Thursday. So if you want to hear about that, go over there to running down the clock. The second one that is interesting and I did watch, but I'm not going to talk about here either is about the Danbury trashers. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Have you, have That's you, a great, it's a great one. So do you know the story Elliot about the Danbury trashers? So there was a um, United hockey league team that was bought and brought to the town of Danbury, Connecticut by a, by a man. A, uh, the, it basically was a father who bought this team Truck driver. for his, well, he actually, he, he, he ran like a, a fleet of dump trucks, garbage trucks. Yeah. Dump trucks. So he bought this team for his son, who was a 17 year old kid who had gotten injured playing hockey and basically could no longer play hockey. So he bought him the team, made him the team president and the general manager and basically said, you know, go, have fun. have fun. Now, this kid had two major influences in his life. Number one, and the reason he'd fallen in love with hockey was the Anaheim Ducks and the original movie, Mighty, Mighty Ducks. Ducks, right? That was his, that's what got him into hockey. The other big thing was his big passion was the WWE. Right. 
And he thought, wouldn't it be great if I could come up with a way to make a hockey team like the team right out of Slapshot, but in real life? 17-year-old kid. Here's the best part. Why does his dad have the money to buy this? Because he runs the largest sanitation company in the Eastern seaboard. And of course, he's also a mobster. Mafia. Naturally. Naturally. So he buys this team for his dad. They call them the Trashers because they run a dump truck or trash trash company. Their first player they draft is Gretzky. That'd be Brent Gretzky. (laughs) But hey, uh, Gretzky on the name. And they go and they go and get this ragtag group of like the most um, degenerate hockey players they can find. A guy who literally has more penalty minutes than actual ice time because he comes out, fights, gets ejected. That's his gig. And it is a utter shit show. And we wonder why hockey culture has taken a hit. You need to go watch this documentary though, because by the end of it, you're actually rooting for these losers. <laughs> it's yeah. fascinating. It's I'm really sure it's funny. funny. The FBI is obviously involved because it's basically a money laundering deal. The whole thing is just yeah. a big racket. Anyway, that's not the show I want to talk yeah. about. The one I do want to talk about is the one that's about Balco. So Balco was the original domino to fall in the... Um, is it domino champion? Just wait. No, the original domino to fall in the like congressional um, investigation, the FBI, and everybody that basically came down on steroids in baseball. Balco was the was was a laboratory in San Francisco, right? Run by a guy named Victor Conti. Doctor <laughs> Conti, sound familiar? Nobody remember Conti? Yeah, I remember him. Okay, the first and 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 one of the only people ever actually indicted on steroids charges that wasn't an athlete because he was distributing them. Wow. This documentary though is fascinating because what it really looks at is the is two things. He had two major sports he supported track and field, including Marion Jones, who, if you remember, was, he basically in his like plea to, to not go to prison was the one who gave her up. Right. But he had several other high level track and field athletes, including one guy who at one point held the world record, but his other major client and the man he still to this day claims he never actually gave steroids to. However, maybe one of his associates did was Barry Bonds. Barry freaking okay. Bonds. So this is post post Sosa, post Maguire, but before either of them kind of really got caught. And Barry Bonds, of course, goes and beats their record, right? Well, a few years later. The Hank Aaron record. No, but first he beat the season record. Oh. And that's kind of where everyone was like, how did Barry Bonds, who's on the downslope of his career, all of a sudden get this much better? And they, the, it was actually the IRS who started investigating this guy. Anyway, here's, what I, here's my question. We talk about steroids a few times, I think, on this show. But I think that there's a conversation or a question about like, when you look back at the history of sport and, you know, there's all of these, these issues around like hall of fame eligibility and all of these kind of things. It's like, can we really truly be able to like dis- discern eras? Can you clearly tell me that certain periods were just dirty, therefore everyone's dirty. Can we, even if things were never proven, you know, you look at McGuire and Sosa and it's like, well, is that record illegitimate because they were both doing drugs or is it just as legitimate because they were both doing drugs? And the question around the, the idea or the ethics of steroids in the sense that if you, if, if you ask any athlete in the world right now, are you doing everything you possibly can legally to make yourself competitively better than your opponents, right? You've got 
hockey players right now going through off-season training, all kinds of different strategies for power skating training and nutrition and all of these things that weren't done. I mean, Gretzky probably had like three hot dogs and a, and a diet Coke before every hockey game in the, in, the, in the 80s. Nowadays, these athletes are machines. The question is, is, isn't half of the stuff they're doing, quote unquote, performance enhancing? Aren't the vitamins they're taking now that they understand nutrition, now that they understand the importance of zinc and iron and all of these things in recovery? Like, isn't it all performance enhancing? And the, and the big piece is, if we're dealing with anabolic steroids, specifically anabolic steroids that are like, like HGH or whatever, which your body naturally creates, yeah. right? But now you're just supplementing it. The same way your body naturally has iron or whatever from the food you're eating, but now you're supplementing it. The question is, if everyone's doing it, is it was it was the sport dirty, or is it dirty if, just because some of them were caught? I guess is the question. So can you look back at it historically <laughs> and change? I know. I, it just it got me thinking about like, I'll ask you this, Elliot. Do does Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, or Sammy Sosa deserve to hold on to the credit for what they accomplished? regardless of the fact that they did or didn't do so breaking the rules of the sport or is that enough for it to just be cold cut and you know wipe wipe the slate clean the astros are still the world series champions yep. and we know they cheated yep why is it different <clears throat> well it's the lance armstrong question right if everyone was doing it why is it so important that i was doing it Right. And I think that that's the question. Like during the steroid era, was everyone just doing it? And, you know, and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa just, you know, were the best at it or, uh, you know, their bodies were better equipped to to use those types of substances or not. I mean, my my feeling is that if it's clearly there, there's a clearly defined rule in most sports regarding the use of performance enhancing drugs and rules are rules. And if you break the rules and punishments should be applied to them. Is there a valid position to take, which I think you're sort of positioning, Jordan, that that rule should be uh, removed from the rule book and everyone should just be allowed to do whatever they want to do. I think that that's a valid question. And if individual sports want to have those conversations within them, then by all means, go ahead and do it. But as long as a, a sports body, a governing body has made a determination about specific types of drugs and the specific uses of them that result, you know, for performance enhancing reasons, if you break those rules, there should be consequences. And from my opinion, in the position, when you talk about Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, right. you know, if the, if you're able, if you're in contravention of the law, then that has consequences. And that's what I would say. Um, however, I do think sports science has drastically changed in the last five to 10 years. And some of the rules and regulations regarding that type of behavior, uh, those types of drugs, uh, maybe should be looked at. The last thing I will say, because I've said a lot here, is the problem that I have, though, is that we know that many of these drugs can have, like, very negative consequences on people's health, right? We know that they are dangerous. That's part of the reason uh, why they are banned. Now, can you regulate them in a way that they're taken... Um, safely perhaps but like you know messing around with too many steroids is not like getting too much zinc jordan like it's a different sort of thing and i would hate to be in a situation where the expectation was if you're a professional athlete 
because everyone else is doing it, you're required to do something detrimental to your health because otherwise you can't keep up and because it's not good for you physically. And so that would be my last point around the concern from a healthcare perspective on that. Okay, so I'll ask you this. If the argument is we should be regulating and banning these substances because there is a detrimental health risk in in these sports, why are we still not talking about CTE properly? Why are we not talking about the imp- like the inherent risk that is already there? The the damage done to these these athletes' bodies just by participating in the sport, irregardless of best efforts, right? Now, I am not sitting here trying to advocate for steroids. My my sorry, good. Sorry, but there's a difference between being forced to take a drug because it's the only thing that's going to allow you to keep up or because your owner or your coach is mandating it versus making a personal decision to engage in a physical, like the physical active sports. Like these guys know how dangerous it is, but they still want to do it. But they know how dangerous the steroids are too in many cases. I mean, then this is a little bit of a side to take on this, but it's just they they know how dangerous it would be to – swing at a ball after hearing trash cans uh, uh smashing right like they so there's a there's there's still ownership when it comes to knowing whether or not it's bad or not yeah i mean absolutely but i i think like yeah and again this is all about the application of rules in, in yeah. you know it you know, is what the ashers did appropriate and did they receive the correct consequences i think many people would say no unless you actually are an astros fan but that's something different i think and and that's like part of a team and a management conversation it's the same with the patriots but i i just think that you you end up in a slippery slope where you've got a coach demanding you to be the best that you can be and that means taking a dangerous substance because it's legal and you're allowed to do it versus um taking it behind in the locker room and showing up the next day and hitting four home runs in the well, game that's exactly the other thing right because that's like the then now we're getting to the other side of my work is the harm reduction side is it better to allow it and it regulate it and make sure it's as safe as possible versus mm-hmm. you know your buddy poking you in the butt with the needle after practice right that, that that's also a, a legitimate piece of this conversation as well too yeah real 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 easy one you've left us here for topic two jordan <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. so but let me go back to where i started with it because we did kind of digress a little bit i don't i i'm, I'm not here advocating for steroids i'm not suggesting that everyone should just do it no. there's an interesting conversation about that i think which we got into but let me go back to where we actually where, where, I, where i kind of intended us t- to go which is this the horses are out of the barn uh, in terms of, as Elliot even articulated, I didn't say this, he did. He literally called it the steroid era, right? So historically, well, he didn't. no, no, it's but he used that term because it's now collective. I, right? I invented the term steroid era. When we go back, that's, I guess what I'm saying is this. If you go back did it, to did where it. we were, yeah. can we really be as judgmental about it as I think we have been at, in general and as the sport has been in general when it comes to trying again to like strip or devalue the 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 impact of those for example you have an, an athlete who wins the oh here here's a great one ben johnson wins the the gold medal at the olympics later about 20 years later it has come to light that at least nine of the 12 athletes that lined up at the starting blocks there were on drugs. 
Did he this really is, cheat? Yeah, this is, is the, the challenge. Science, that's fine. Yeah. But well, that's where I guess it gets really tricky for yeah, me totally. because it's like he actually won on an even playing field with the exception because of no two guys who knew. we don't know because no one knew. And it was, it was Everyone inherently knew. against the rules. Here's the other thing that's tricky. Yeah. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, both of them were accused of taking drugs that at that time had yet to actually be regulated. But it was close enough to the other types of steroids. This is why they weren't getting tested for them and why they were passing tests because they were taking a drug that wasn't even, USADA wasn't even aware was a drug yet. And this is what gets down to this Balco thing. So they had two substances. And this is why eventually Victor Conti gets off because he is, he's got the substance whoa, 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 they call, spoilers, spoilers. So, well, it, this is, this is, yeah. Anyone who knows this history knows he didn't go to prison for it. He go, well, yeah, actually he did go to prison for a little while, but he had the substance they just called clear. Okay. It was literally a clear substance and there's still no clear indication of exactly what was in it. It was a cocktail of synthetic steroid and there was a cream and you applied both. At, in the specific, you know, organized window that he laid out for these athletes. It was like on a Tuesday, you take one on the Wednesday, you take the nuts, you take nothing for four days, then you take two, all these kind of things designed around getting through the tests, because the way the tests were designed at that time, were about balancing your testosterone versus the baseline. And it was just about making sure if the balance was correct, if those numbers weren't too large, then the, you pass the test. And so the truth was that they didn't actually test them for what the drug in their system was. They tested them for the amount of testosterone that the body was producing God. because of what the drug had done. So my question, again, going back is, and I, the Houston Astros for me are the biggest failure for Major League Baseball in terms of the integrity of their sport, not because of the specifics of that case, but because it leaves the door open for every decision they have ever made and every decision they will ever make moving forward around yeah. punishment of cheating. If the punishment for the Astros which is a clear violation of the rules that they had is a slap on the wrist. Then why is Barry Bonds not in the hall what of fame? What do you do? What do you do? You can't go back. No, but my point is you still have these, these athletes, the way that these athletes are looked at historically. I don't, I don't think they will affected. always be tarnished. I don't think, should he not be in the hall of fame? No, but I, I don't think you can compare the two. I mean, I, I think it's a bit of comparing apples to oranges. And I, I not to suggest that I'm in any way defending the Houston Astros or think that that's correct. But th that was an organization, a team on the whole. But ultimately, really, what it, what it was was a manager uh, implementing a strategy that was breaking the rules. And it was a team thing. I think when you're talking about steroids and that piece, like it's just different. It's different. It's still cheating, but it's. It, 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 I don't think you can compare the two in terms of like what the expectation should be. That being said, I think you're right about precedent setting. Here's my take on steroids that I think is, you know, I put it to you guys for your opinion on this. I think I feel differently about steroid use in events like cycling, baseball, track and field, where you're basically just testing the limits of human uh, ability. And there is relatively like you're just trying to be the fastest, but not really you're competing against each other, but you're not like, say, touching each other. I think you get it. It gets a lot more dangerous and a lot more problematic when you're talking about sports like hockey or uh, or football where your body is literally a weapon or something that you use to engage in play. And I think if we're starting to push the bounds and making what are already dangerous sports, as we know in the CTE conversation, but also like a guy died on the field in the NFL last year, uh, even more dangerous by further strengthening the weapon that is the human body in these sports. I think that's a separate conversation than 
uh, individual sports where you're really competing against trying to achieve the best version of yourself alongside everyone else trying to be achieve the best version of themselves. Does so does yeah I, I, where I get caught up in, in like these does Barry Bonds belong in the Hall of Fame? Does A Rod belong in the Hall of Fame? Do does Lance Armstrong not win seven world? Or, so so in my in my opinion, like when I think about cheating as a whole beyond just steroid use, uh, right? The Astros still won the World Series. Lance still won seven or however I think it was seven. Yeah, Tour de France. There will always be an asterisk around that because there is a cheating notion, you know, that that happened. But like even our conversation last year about sticky substances. So that's now cheating. But I kid you not, every every fucking pitcher in the league and every pitcher in the Hall of Fame used it. Yeah. So is is there an, like, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, I guess, what I guess. Again, going back to what I where I started, I think it's tricky because. It is a very slippery slope when you start to apply modern science, when you start to apply modern rules, when you start to apply the penalties that we now have for these things retroactively. Barry Bonds took steroids. No question about that. We don't know at what point. We don't know how long. But we know Barry Bonds took steroids. That's right. The reality is Barry Bonds also hit more home runs than anybody else in his career. A lot of those before he took steroids <laughs> and he hit a lot of home runs after he took steroids. The point is he still hit more home runs than anybody else. Now we can have a conversation about how he did it, but you cannot have a conversation about the fact that, that he, he did, did it. it. Yeah. And that's for me, the tricky part is it's like, again, if we're going to claim that there is a, a, there was a steroid era, then there should be a section of the hall of fame for the players who excelled during the steroid <laughs> era. era. Well, that's the truth and the same way still in an era of cheating yeah well but every sport will constantly have people work right to and past that line because this is about the which maximum is, which amount is why of performance. they will continue to find you know that's what the organizations do though that's the that's how they govern this to yeah. ensure that, and i'm not you know, saying the nba took out marijuana use as a, a performance enhancing drug because it's not it's not <laughs> But again, it's but about before, how people you who used yeah, right. in the league would be suspended as if they were, you know, like, yeah. All right. Well, I think it's a good conversation. Obviously, one we'll continue to, to have because there's lots to unpack there. Uh, definitely, you know, um, we're not endorsing steroid use. I think that let's just, just make sure that that's clear. Jordan's pretty pro steroids. No, I think I'm just more like pro looking back at the people who use steroids in a slightly different light than we do. Watching their sports stars inject drugs on film. The challenge is go out and and play their best. Jordan is pro steroids and he wants to show. Here's the issue. Braden and I are here sitting together for this recording. We don't know that Elliot hasn't taken something prior to this conversation to improve his performance. I've been using seven-year-old children. I expect (laughs) I expect you to send us a urine sample. All right, that's the end of that. Sticky substances. Hey, if you're a fan of Formula One, then I've got the perfect podcast for you. The Pit Stop Podcast, presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. After every single race of the Formula One schedule, Jordan and Tyler will break it down, give you some news, analysis, insight, before answering your questions and setting you up for the next race. That's the Pit Stop Podcast, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Okay. Uh, we're going to do hats off here real quick um, to wrap it up. Elliot, you go first. 
Yeah, speaking of little children, as we ended our last uh, podcast, our last topic of this podcast, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the Canadian uh, uh, Little League team. That's The Little League World Series is currently happening right now, as it does every year. Uh, it's like gets insane cat coverage in the United States and across the world. Uh, lots of players that have played in it end up becoming big MLB store stars. Uh, it's a big deal. Our Canadian team was unfortunately eliminated today after 10-1 loss to Mexico. Um, but shout out to them for going. We're not a traditional baseball hotbed or, or uh, nation, um, but it continues to be a game that grows in our country and certainly out in Ontario and, and in BC, it's a big deal. And so just wanted to shout out that team for going up against the world's best in their age category. Well done, uh, Canadian Little Leaguers. Braden? All right, my hat is going off to uh, the Argentinian legend, Lionel Messi, who uh, won yet another thing. Uh, he won the, what was it called? The League's Cup in the MLS uh, after like two weeks in the MLS, he took an inter Miami team that was absolutely dismal and uh, took them to a championship. Um, uh, I mean, we all knew this was coming. I think uh, it's going to be a pretty fun Apple series to watch. And uh, who knows, maybe this is it for, for Messi in Miami. This could be just the blip on, on, the, on the radar and off to, um, well, who knows? He's 36. He no, he's making like 2% commission on every subscription Apple made since he signed. Oh, no, it's the, guy's, the guy is happy there. Now, here's the other thing. I just love Wayne Rooney, one of the most like, like idiotic athletes in terms of like hot takes his entire career. Also a guy who got in trouble for like drunk driving while having an escort in his car or something while married. But like, so not, not a particularly um, a polished record. Role, role model. Yeah, 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 exactly. But Wayne, Wayne Rooney, who played one season with the D.C. United United uh, club in the MLS, had the hot take just before the first match. He was on some broadcast and he basically said, I don't know. Messi's going to be surprised by the quality of the MLS. This is this is really good soccer over here. And I think that people are underestimating how good it is. He scored two goals on average in every match he's played in so far, yeah. he's making them look like children. It literally looks like, like if you put McDavid out there, but in like the brick tournament literally. at the, at the, at the West Edmonton mall or whatever, and had him play full tilt. Like it's a joke. And, he looks, and yeah, he I, I appreciate the money <laughs> that the MLS is making off this. And they were happy to just literally print it's money, but yeah. as a league, I'm not sure this is the best look. You brought the best player in the world and he has showed you how oh, absolutely you if you're the MLS, you're getting attention. You want, but it is. Yeah, he's making them look like children. It's pretty funny. Well, that's off Entertaining. He, I, Entertaining. I don't even notice that he won anything this last weekend. Um. All right. My hat goes off to um former BC Lion and uh, Canadian uh, born NFL uh, hopeful Nathan Rourke, who born in Victoria, uh, raised out in Ontario, played his college football at Ohio State University, not the Ohio State University. <laughs> not Ohio at the other one, the Ohio smaller State. one, Ohio state um, had a fantastic um, CFL debut last season for the BC lions uh, broke CFL records for the rookie got hurt, but came back, wasn't able to get his team all the way, but he took his shot. Now in the NFL, he went to Jacksonville's training camp um, and 
in his first game, uh, first start in the preseason against Dallas, had an absolute highlight reel, highlight of the night style um, escape from the pocket. I think there were six or seven different guys from the defensive line who had a hand on him at some point while he was being dragged down through a touchdown pass. He's had two touchdown passes in each of his two preseason appearances. Unfortunately for him, he was uh, officially announced as QB3, although really not a surprise as a kid who's never taken in an NFL snap compared to the second string guy. Trevor Lawrence is obviously the guy. The question mark now is this, well, this new rule in the NFL around having an emergency backup on your 56 man roster um, affect him because he might be kept on the active roster just so that they have him available. Uh, Some teams I think will carry three quarterbacks. Some teams will choose not to, if they don't, they will waive him to put him on the practice roster. I think that that's pretty clear. The question is, will anybody else take a flyer on him and say, Hey, you're better than whoever our second string guy is i'm not sure but we'll see yeah and uh could use him yeah a, a lot of teams could use him um definitely in the cfl but i don't think we're going to see him back up here for at least another season i think he'll have an opportunity somewhere to to get better and to grow and i wish him all the best so hats off to nathan Rourke. hey the elks are on a one game streak right there you go All right. That's our little show for this week. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, As I said earlier, Tyler and Puya have their shows every Thursday right now. They're going through uh, some season preview episodes before the NFL season actually kicks off. You can check that out at running down the clock, wherever you get your podcasts until next week. That was hat trick. Hat trick is a member of the ordinary podcasting network. Produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include. Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations and we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live create and share stories on these territories the ordinary podcasting network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination but a journey and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space